Hi. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? Oh my God, it's been so long. It's been a minute. How are you? This is Wen Wen Yang. The last time we spoke felt like another lifetime ago. I talked with her for an episode our team did on class anxiety during our very first season. Um, oh my God, I think it's been how long? About a few years since we've talked? Yes, yeah, it was 2019. Wen Wen is a listener of the show, and back then she wrote into us with a question. She asked, how do you be middle class? She wanted a kind of guidebook. She explained how she grew up poor, but now she was making decent money and struggling to figure out the norms of a class she wasn't born into. Like, how do I navigate it without signaling to other people that, like, she's new here? Wen Wen grew up in a household where money was tight. Her parents are immigrants from China. Her mom was a seamstress. Her dad worked at a restaurant. She'd only see her dad at home once a week just because he worked so much. Then, after college, Wen Wen got a job working as a revenue analyst, making $50,000, more than her parents combined, which meant she'd officially entered the middle class. And she felt pretty lost. Like, she told me about this one time she went out with her coworkers to lunch. Uh, it was at, like, a nice restaurant close to work. Um, and I was like, okay, I can eat. Uh, that's a burger. I know those ingredients. I can eat that. And I was like, okay, so I'll have this burger. And the waiter said, how do you like it cooked? And I was like... Does it matter? And he says, not to me, but probably to you. And then he chuckled, and I'm still looking at him going, like, please give me a clue. What, what do I say? And he's like, well, do you like, uh, is a little pink okay? I'm like, yes. And he's like, okay, that, that's medium. We, we can do that for you. I'm like, okay. And then later on, I'm like, oh, it's like ordering a steak. Okay. Because um, they don't ask you, you know, how do you like your burger cooked at McDonald's? When we last spoke, Wen Wen told me she found herself dodging certain social situations or just totally omitting parts of her life so she didn't seem out of place, so people wouldn't judge her. She described feeling like an outsider observing her middle-class peers. And she worried she'd always feel this way. I'm probably always going to be like an anthropologist <laughs> wherever I am, being like, well, this is a new thing, um, and, and learning about it. But I, it's definitely assembling pieces that... Um, you know, becoming more and more middle class. So now, almost four years later, I was so curious to see how she's doing today. All I knew, according to her LinkedIn, is that she's still living in the same city in Texas, and she's still working a corporate job at Hilton Hotels. I reached out and set up a time to connect on Zoom. The last time we spoke, you know, it was before the pandemic, things were mm -hmm. different, how have you been since then? Uh, so I have started writing again. Uh, my hmm. my degrees in creative writing, and like with the pandemic, I feel like a lot of people had a uh, what if you die suddenly? Like, is this the life that you want? You know, hmm. to be in your obituary? Is this how you want to be remembered? Um, and I'm like, I I still have some stories in me. I, like, there's a story I still hmm. want to get out there. And why are you drawn to that? I think it's a little bit of, um, I play God, right? I am in control of these characters' lives, mm. um, but I'm able to get them to the ending I want. Like, the bad yeah. guy gets punished, the good person gets the just rewards. Um, and I, I also realize it kind of ties into growing up poor in that uh, it didn't need extra supplies. Because a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, I used to cross-stitch, you know, when I was a kid. I used to knit. Um, and I was like, that, that was not something I picked up. My parents were not going to buy me extra, you know, art supplies or anything like that. Do you feel less self-conscious these days about your class background? 
Yes. Yeah. Why do you think you felt so much shame before? Uh, it it was probably because I didn't feel as, um, like now I feel further away from that time, right? Yeah. And the the notions that people have about people being poor, it's like it will it was your fault that this happened. It's just mm-hmm. like no, that was a circumstance of my birth, um, or that you know if you just work hard enough, you could bootstrap your way out. And I feel like I have encountered so much more uh, language around Mm -hmm. the fact that, no, there are systems that are hurting us and things are built up against us. And Mm -hmm. that, that helps me um, come, come to terms with like, okay, right. I was just internalizing, you know, all the, the hatred for, for poor people, as opposed to being like, oh, right. The system I was living in just, was wanting mm. to keep people down. Wow, that's a huge perspective shift. Yeah. Because, yeah, before it sounds like you were really blaming yourself and your family. It's like, man, there's some really mediocre rich people that's, like, <laughs> never fall down. <laughs> or they fall up somehow, right? What are you talking about? Every rich person yeah. is smart and capable. Yeah, <laughs> you trashed your company and then you get a, you know, golden parachute. How does that work out? <laughs> right. I'm curious, the last time we talked, you told me that you really craved a guidebook to the middle class. Mm-hmm. Is that something you still want? Um, I'm, I'm feeling a bit more confident in my own mm. skin and learning, um, I guess from experience, the tricks of the trade of skipping around a conversation if, uh, <laughs> I, if I feel the need to. Yeah. What are, is there an example that comes to mind of, of skipping around a conversation? Uh, yeah. So uh, we had a team meeting mm-hmm. and the the icebreaker question on the first day was like, what's your favorite purchase of the last year? Which mm. I'm like, oh, no, consumerism. Um, <laughs> but also, I don't I don't recall buying anything. And I'm like, and I was like racking my brain. And then and I you realized, just haven't oh, bought anything because uh, I don't. Uh, like I waffle on buying stuff because I'm just like you, you gotta like have a pro con list you gotta be like all right, mm. this thing is worth it because you know mm-hmm. is it replacing uh, something that I broke is it solving a problem that I have right. um, and then I it got to me and I was just like uh, my favorite purchase was my Invisalign because I'm straightening my teeth and then you know I pass it <laughs> off to the next person that's a big purchase <laughs> that exactly it was a huge purchase how much did that cost I think around 5500 wow yeah what was it like paying that? Um, it it felt like a lot, but my thought process was it is really bugging me that I can't chew and bite into things that I want. And I don't really like the way I smile. So, mm-hmm. like. Well, I also think how your teeth look can be a marker of your class. Yes. Status. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's totally something I thought about. Um, mm-hmm. Have you been self-conscious about your teeth in the past? Yes. Like, not smiling in photos um, or, like, covering my mouth when um, I'm laughing. Mm. Um, That's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> like, laughing, but then not really being able to enjoy it because you're thinking about how you're being perceived. Yes. Does it make you anxious to spend money? Probably, yeah. I'm a very cheap person. Like, I bought the cheapest toaster, and my husband, he's just like, this thing seems like it's about to set us on fire. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And then, obviously, my toaster broke 
um, <laughs> when I depressed it, it didn't um, start warming up. And I'm just like, oh, this feels like it's about to sit on fire. It reminds me when you told me that you used to put, I think, duct tape over your shoes if they were falling oh, apart. Oh, I gorilla as glued to buying... the shoes. Yeah. Yeah, gorilla glued. Well, if you're living so frugally, presumably you, you have a lot of savings or? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you feel comfortable sharing any specifics about your financial life? Uh, not not on radio. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. Um, can you give us like a sense of how financially comfortable you are? Um, I have enough that if we were both unemployed for a year, we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm just pushing back here. I'm not saying that this is actually how I feel, but mm-hmm. I can imagine maybe someone else might feel completely differently than you, right? Like maybe Mm -hmm. they're very conscious of um, their mortality and their approach is to indulge, to spend, Mm -hmm. to, you know, live comfortably. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Now I'm on the side of, you know, save everything. If I can do it myself, I'll do it myself. And and a friend of mine, she's just like, I was denied these toys. So I now, even though I have no children, I have a room full of toys that I could not have as Mm -hmm. as a, a child. And I'm like, interesting. I really relate to that. I I mean, Mm -hmm. I grew up probably middle class, um, but one income household. My dad was a nurse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're not making a ton of money for a family of five. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think we weren't necessarily able to indulge, right? Uh, If we are traveling, you're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We're not eating out. And so as an adult today, if I'm traveling and I'm in an airport, I get so excited by the idea of eating airport food, even though it's <laughs> incredibly expensive because it's just, yeah, it feels like a way to um, satisfy my my inner child. So uh, yeah, it's interesting. Oh. I think people have different approaches. It's just like trying to calm down that little child in me that's just like, it's going to be fine. We're, we're adults now. We're, you know, solidly here. The, the, the world's not, not going to come crashing down around our ears. It's going to be fine. Like, because I think um, my response to growing up poor was, um, I can't have the thing, so don't want the thing. Um, And I sort of wish I got to want the thing again. Like, hey, I I still haven't left the country. Maybe I should plan an international trip. But it's almost like I am too afraid to want the thing because, like, what if it, you know, I I peek over the, the fence and go, oh, no, never mind. Actually, that is way more expensive than I thought it would be. I will afford this later, you know? I am curious when you say that you're very frugal, um, do you go out to eat? No. Well, we do for our birthdays. So like once a year. Okay. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, Yeah, I know. I know. One of my friends, he's also super frugal, but he does it once a week. And I'm like... Stunning. That That's so often, <laughs> sir. I know. I do it sometimes multiple times a week, and it's terrible. But I also do enjoy it. Exactly. You got to enjoy it. And then I think it also comes from my, again, my parents uh, having worked in food service. They're just like, no, we have food at home. And, right. uh, you know, that's expensive. But again, so. same thing. That was always the thing I heard. We have food at home. And now as an mm-hmm. adult, I'm like, we can go out to eat. <laughs> we can. <laughs> I can go to Golden Corral if I want to. Um, that's not right. Yeah, the eight-year-old, you can see your own wallet and is going like, we can afford this. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah, exactly. What are your financial goals? So you're saving a lot. You're frugal. What do you hope to do with your savings? 
Ah, uh, gosh. The funny part is, like, I don't know if I necessarily have a goal. It's not like I'm saving mm-hmm. enough to buy a house because I'm just like, no, home ownership does not sound like a thing I want to do. The goal is just, like, to make sure I have enough for however long I live for that to be a comfortable life. But also, I remember applying for financial aid and asking my dad, uh, you know, the FAFSA asks if your parents have retirement um, savings. And I asked him if he had any. And he says, no, you're my retirement plan. I was like, great. (laughs) No pressure. How do you feel about that? Um, I don't know. It's part of the culture. It is. um, It's not something I can, like, run away from, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, yes, I'm still their kid. Like, I can't let them fall like that. If you had to write out, like, your ideal plot line for how your life will unfold financially, what would that be? To have no financial concerns and then be able to use that money to help others, like mm. to to keep passing it on. You know, like how PBS does the, uh, and viewers like you, thank you, mm-hmm. um, like to be named <laughs> in one of those things. <laughs> like, yeah, this came from the Win Win Yang Foundation. Yeah. That would be amazing what would that signify oh that that would be making it right like i feel like some people are like oh yes if i have this kind of car and this kind of house and i'm mm. just like a, a legacy where someone goes oh i recognize that name from you know some something doing good right so it's like basically you want to be in a position where you're able to provide some financial security for other people. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, once you stop worrying about yourself, right? Like, um, when, once your belly is full, then you worry about, oh, wait, I, I remember being hungry. I got to make sure my friends have food, too. Like, once once the worry about myself is, is done, is reaching back and pulling the next person forward. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. So one of the reasons I decided to reach back out to Wenwen is because one of my colleagues, Yaneli Espinal, she recently told me that Wenwen's story was her favorite episode of the show, that it really resonated with her and how she grew up. Yaneli is the host of Marketplace's newest podcast, Financially Inclined. It just debuted in April, and I was actually recently a guest on the show. Coming up after the break, I share my conversation with Yaneli. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. So doing this show for the past four years, I've interviewed a lot of people about their feelings and money. And while I'm usually the one asking the questions, I was recently invited onto a podcast to talk about some of the things I've learned. It's the show I mentioned earlier, Financially Inclined. It's also from Marketplace, and it's hosted by Yaneli Espinal. 
It's a financial literacy podcast on YouTube that's geared towards younger audiences. The conversation you're about to hear is an excerpt from her show. I hope you enjoy it. So I've actually been listening to This Is Uncomfortable for a long time, like since season one. I've listened to so many episodes, and I'm curious what made you start the podcast. At the time, I was in my mid-20s. I had just moved across the country to Los Angeles from North Carolina. I was living with a roommate, and we uh, were hanging out all the time with our friends. We would go out to eat. We'd go on these, like, you know, vacations. And I was realizing that, you know, we all came from really different financial backgrounds, right? Like some folks were still living at home with their parents. Others um, were still figuring out their careers. Um, But we like never talked about money. So like there were these clues you could pick up here and there. But I remember thinking a lot like, you know, am I doing this right? How much should I have in savings? You know, what does it say about me that I am not more in control of my finances? And so it felt like something I had to go about alone and in secret, um, which is wild, right? Because like money defines so much of our lives. And at the time, I also remember I had never really had a frank conversation about money with my family. I don't know if you have. Later, like I feel like in my 20s, no. But as I started to get into my 30s, I was like, all right, we need to start talking about this. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was in my mid-20s. I never talked about money with my family. And I remember one day I sat down with my dad and um, I asked him, I was like, Baba, how much do you think I, I have in savings? And he was like, well, you know, you're 26. You lived at home with us for a couple of years. You know, um, I think you should have like 100,000. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what reality are you living in? Um, I do not have $100,000. Um, but anyway, all to say that I just was realizing we weren't having conversations about it. And so I wanted to really, you know, dig into why we handle money the way that we do. You've had so many conversations with so many different people from all walks of life, after all of those conversations, when you reflect back on them, how have you noticed that money comes up for people as they're talking to you about their lives? The themes I've noticed are there's so much shame and fear when it comes to money. There's this fear that those numbers might become another way to feel categorized or judged, or somehow Mm -hmm. it'll become a reflection of our own worth in this world. So I hear that a lot which makes sense, right? There's this fear that we don't want to be defined by our financial status and be reduced to just our class status um, or what's in our bank account. Yeah. And, you know, I also think oftentimes when we're talking about money, we're not really talking about money, right? Like you might think you're anxious about money and and yeah, you are, but you might be also anxious about how you're not reaching milestones as quickly as your friends are or you might feel stressed out about a parent who's aging. So a lot of times it's about uh, really peeling back layers and figuring out the deeper emotions that we feel towards money. But when you're 15, 16, 17, like you're kind of just starting to figure out the world of money. So if you hear a conversation like this one and you're like, yeah, you know, I was listening to this podcast and they're saying that money's hard to talk about, but like, so what? I... I'm okay with going through life not talking about mm. things that are kind of awkward because I want to like avoid awkward conversations right. and that's cool with me. Your life. What would you say to that mentality of like, well, no, it's actually really important for you to be able to talk about money and, and here's why. Oof. Okay, there's so many reasons, right? Like practically, it's really important. And by talking about it more then you're able to talk more confidently about your boundaries and limitations with your friends. Like, hey, I love you. I want to spend time with you. But like, financially, I can't do this. And if you're not talking about money, 
how are you going to learn about it, right? Like, it's like with anything else. If we're not talking about money, you see someone on social media, they just, you know, bought a car and you don't know that they just got an inheritance from their grandfather or that house that they just bought was paid from their parents with a down payment. Yep. You're measuring yourself to unrealistic standards if, if there aren't open conversations about it. And then also, as you're going into the workforce, you want to make more money, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to make again. more money. It's be harder <laughs> to make more money if you're not having open conversations about it with your friends and coworkers. That helps everyone, right? Like, when you're talking about it openly, then you're going to get paid more because it raises the bar for everyone. Fewer people are accepting pay lower than what they deserve. Whether you are in tune with it or whether you realize it or not, you have your own beliefs about money. And you're walking around every day, you're going to school, you're going to work, doing whatever, you're going to your friend's house, doing whatever you're doing. And those beliefs that you have about money, you're carrying them with you and all the things that you do. And again, whether you realize it or not, but this is a fact, this is what's happening. And so talk a little bit about those beliefs that people carry with them everywhere they go. Where do those beliefs tend to come from? And I think a lot of them come from um, their families, right? Mm-hmm. So like what they heard from their parents growing up, how they talked about money how money was handled in their household. It's it's like anything else in life, right? You internalize those messages and you carry them with you. But also not even, you know, it doesn't always have to go back to your childhood, right? Like even if you experience financial trauma as an adult, if you were in a marriage where there was financial cheating or abuse or dealt with like a really big financial trauma with a friend, like that can have a way of trickling into your life later (laughs) without you even realizing it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Might make you more cautious and more fearful around money. And also, I think a lot of it just comes from our society, right? Inherently, we are human beings who, uh, you know, want to be liked. We compare ourselves to others because fundamentally, we want to fit in. (laughs) I was uh, scrolling through Twitter the other day, and I saw this one quote that really stuck with me. And it was... uh, I think it was from the author who wrote The Psychology of Money. When you see someone with a fancy car or you see someone wearing an expensive coat, you rarely think like, oh, wow, like I want to be like them, right? You think, wow, if I had that coat, then other people would think I'm cool. (laughs) And so he's making this point that there's this paradox in that like people want wealth to signal to others that they should be admired, but really you know, we're not doing that. We're, we're using other people's wealth as a benchmark for our own desire to be liked and admired. When you buy stuff, you buy it because you think people are going to think you're cool, right? You think like, oh, wait till they see me in this watch and these Jordans in this bag and this brand name, whatever. But when people see you in it, they don't think about you. No, they're they, not thinking about you. We're all just thinking about ourselves. Yeah, they're like, oh, if I had that, if I had that cool, if I had those shoes. Yeah, exactly. We're all so <laughs> egotistical. <laughs> No, we really are. I think it's made worse by social media, right? Like you find yourself scrolling through TikTok and Instagram and you see these really beautiful aesthetic homes that are decorated with these influencers who have the nicest gadgets. Right. When we are in pursuit of those things, we're actually really in pursuit of an idea, if that makes sense, right? Like what you're saying, maybe if I had this art piece or that watch or whatever, then that'll bring me closer to embodying the kind of person I want to be. Maybe that'll make me more worldly. Maybe that'll make me more liked. But it's a trap, I think, because you're not really chasing the things that might fulfill you, right? You're going after what you think society wants you to go after. So, But to your earlier point, like you were saying, a lot of people's 
beliefs and even problems that they have with money sometimes stems or oftentimes stems from the stuff that they went through growing up. A lot of times you have to kind of deal with that money stuff. You have to understand your relationship to money first before you can confront what you're doing with it or the decisions that you're making. So are there any specific tactics or activities or recommendations that you have for people who want to do this? They want to start understanding their own relationship to money, but they might not know how. You know, I liken a lot of it to therapy, right? Like if you go to therapy, a lot of times you're connecting the dots in your life. Like, oh, I react this way in conflict or in situations because of, you know, these needs that weren't being met when I was younger. Anyway, like that, you almost want to, I mean, you can go seek out a financial therapist, but I think you can also sit with yourself and think deeply about, okay, what messages did I get from my parents, from my family about money? How did that make me feel? Like when I think about money today, how does that make me feel in my body? Like what comes up for me? There's also this really practical tool that I love. It's a quiz from the Klontz Money Script Inventory. It basically says that there are these four big categories of money beliefs. They say that there are money avoiders, money worshipers, folks who identify as money status and money vigilance. So money avoiders tend to be people who feel like they don't deserve money or that money leads to greed and corruption. Mm. And they might even like sabotage their financial success. Money worshipers think that money is the key to happiness. Uh, Money status seekers might link their self-worth to how much they make and they really value Mm. outward displays of wealth. Those who fall under money vigilant may be like very alert and concerned with their finances. And then, you know, you can be a little bit of, of everything, right? That's such a great resource just to be like, how do I even think about money? Like, what are my values yeah. when it comes to money? So I would definitely yeah, And also that. like how you change over time. Because like, mm. I, I bet you if I took that personality, mm. money personality quiz like 10 years ago, I know that I would have been a money worshiper. I know that yeah. about myself because I was a mess, right? But now and I'm like yeah. more money vigilant because I've made so many mistakes and I don't want to keep falling back into those traps. Yeah. But I think that over time, your money personality probably changes and also oh, yeah. will definitely change if you do some work, if you work on it to make it better. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, I would just encourage everyone to put their feelings on paper. You will be surprised by like what's going on in your head and how you actually feel about things. Um, One of the things I've done is like, I'll go back and look at some of the old things that I wrote when I was like younger. And I'm like, Ooh, how I have changed. I I can't believe I wrote that. Like I would never write that now, but that's (laughs) beautiful. And it's nice to see your evolution, you know, you're like, and when it comes to money, your, your financial evolution, which I think is, is empowering in a lot of ways for you to know that you've grown, that you're growing and that you're going to continue. Like, you know, you went from here to there. Like Mm -hmm. you want that feeling of success. You want to feel like, yeah, there's been growth so that that can give you more momentum to, to move forward. If you want to hear more of Yanelli's show, Financially Inclined, you can check it out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear our first episode featuring Wen Wen's story, that episode is called I Have Class Anxiety. All right, that is all for our show this week. If you have any thoughts or comments or want to share your own uncomfy money story, you can always reach me and the team through uncomfortable at marketplace.org. Also, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter if you haven't already. We've got great recommendations each week on what to watch and read and cook, all that good stuff. You can sign up for that at marketplace.org slash comfort. It is just lights and smoke and 
flames. And you've never seen anything like it. Next time on This is Uncomfortable. And you think, we're going to go in there. And, and this is where I work. The lengths one woman goes to escape student debt. I needed to pay this off first for my own sanity because I just could not live with this. That's next week. This episode was produced by Mark K. Green and hosted by me. We wrote the script together. The episode got additional support from Alice Wilder and Hannah Harris-Green. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Jasmine Romero. Mark Green is our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. Our intern is Yvonne Marquez. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Financially Inclined is hosted by Yaneli Espinal. That show's senior producer is Haley Hirschman. Their video editor is Mallory Brangan, and their sound engineer is Gary O'Keefe. Bridget Bodner is Marketplace's director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. And the theme music for both of our shows is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. 